It seemed like a good idea at the time. Three days in ultimate seclusion. The flakes that started to fall on your way were hardly worth notice. But now the polar vortex is locked over Canada and, as the drifts creep up to the windows, you feel foolish being miles and miles from any neighbor or route plowed by a road commission. The generator ran out of gas yesterday. But there's plenty of lamp oil and wood for the stove. Surprisingly, your call for help was met with something like joy. An acquaintance has a snowmobile with enough gas for a one-way trip. They're bringing people, food, supplies, beverages, and, if they heard your plea as the last milliamp slipped from your phone, games. That's right, soon you'll be Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon is a discussion with Northwest Michigan residents about life, the pursuit of happiness, and the four tabletop games they'd like to get stuck with in a fictitious snowpocalypse. I'm your host, Jim Maratsky, and today, across the interwebs as we all keep our social distance, we're joined by Walter Scott. Walter, welcome to Snowmageddon. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So my first question usually is with this is, how difficult was it for you to choose the four games that you've chosen to bring along, and what criteria did you use? <laughs> it was pretty difficult, although... You know, when we first talked about doing this, uh, it was difficult for different reasons than it was um, a couple weeks ago when I when I finally decided to take the leap. Um, you know, when, when when we first talked about doing the podcast, I did not see myself as an experienced gamer at all. You know, I had I had played sort of a small sampling, um, but I hadn't played a lot of games enough to have a feel for, you know, if, if they were really something that I would want to um, take along with me in this sort of scenario. And so I found myself just kind of falling back to um, some old games that I played a lot when I was in college. And, but I, you know, I kind of thought, oh man, I don't, I don't know if these are I don't know if these are, it's going to sound weird, but I don't know if these are worthy games, you know, like, I don't know if these are good enough games to, to really sink your teeth into and, and, and keep you going over, you know, over a, a good stretch of time. So I kind of stuck them in the back of my mind. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago when I, you know, I finally said to myself, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do this thing with Jim. And as, as you know, I, I think, you know, between uh, January and, and now, um, I've, I've gotten the chance to play a lot more games and learn a lot more games. And, uh, and so, so then it became more difficult because I had played so many, uh, so many more than I had before. I'm, I'm still not that experienced of a gamer, but, you know, I felt myself waffling back and forth. Like, man, I, I really enjoyed a bunch of these different games. I don't know which ones I would I would zero in on, but the funny thing is that I ended up mostly going back to my my original choices that I had first thought of back in January. So it was kind of tricky, um, and I and you know lots of lots of back and forthing. You know, in terms of criteria, I guess the first thing I thought of, and you know, uh, I've heard a lot of other people mention this. Uh, every, every guest I've listened to on on this podcast has said. Um, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of replayability was really important to them. You know, this idea that like, well, these are the only four games we're going to have for some indefinite period of time. Um, we'd better enjoy replaying them over and over again. <clears throat> so that was, that was up there. But another really important one for me was the level of 
player interaction. I, I felt like it was going to be really important for me to have games that allowed for uh, for a lot of interaction, just because I feel like a, there there are a lot of games out there where I don't know if if you if you play it if you play it over and over and over again, it just all of a sudden it I don't know it starts to feel like you're like it's like it's you against the game kind of. And and the social part is sitting around the board game and and you know chit chatting with with everybody while we play this game, um, but I wanted something where where the player interaction was really built into the game itself, um, and I also wanted games um, at least a couple games that could involve a good number of people or or could work well, you know from anywhere from you know three or four up to you know ver- verging on ten because. I don't know. I don't know how many people are in this cabin with me. You know, is it is it me and then the my buddy on the snowmobile? Is it, you know, is it is it me and my whole family with my, uh, you know, my kids and a couple other friends? I, so, um, I wanted to make sure that there were at least one or two that would be able to involve um, kind of everybody all at once that might be in the situation. So, those are the big criteria for me. Great, and you can decide who comes along with you to snow. Right. That's, so. that's that's what I, that's what I figured. So, yeah. All up to you. <laughs> so speaking of that, are you someone that this scenario of being kind of on your own out in the middle of wilderness in a major snowstorm would this scenario <laughs> apply to you? Yeah, yeah. I I'd say I'd say I am. Um, I'm not. I mean, I'm not a super adventurous type. At, at least I'm, I'm probably not anymore. Probably less than I used to be. But I definitely enjoy getting away from it all. I mean, as you know, you 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 and I discovered just recently that we we both have connections with um with Northport and and enjoy going up there. And you know, the the cottage that I go to is um is fairly remote. You know, it's only in the past couple of years that we've been able to get any sort of cell service up there or anything. So and, and my my family has a um has a cabin that's been passed on through the generations that's um, on an island in the UP. And that's, that really is, it, it feels very remote. So definitely the idea of being, um, being stuck in one place with, you know, no other form of entertainment for, for some time is not foreign to me, um, not foreign to me at all. So um, yeah, no, this could definitely happen. <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's just jump into your first game then. Your first sure. game is one that's uh, put together for creative people. It was designed by Richard Lambert, <laughs> Andrew Rillstone, and James Wallace. and was originally published in 1993, and the current third edition is published by Atlas Games. Yeah. This is Once Upon a Time, the storytelling card game. Uh, so yeah. why, do you want, why do you want to bring this along to Snowmageddon? I think it hits all three of my criteria in different ways. Yeah, I mean, in terms of replayability, I, I think it's right up there. It's it's such a it's such a simple game. You know, I, I hear people talking about all these different games that you know are are replayable for a lot of different reasons, and this one is this one is is so simple and straightforward. But the I mean, the way it flows, you you literally get a different story every single time. You get a different ending every single time. As I as I said, like the 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 mechanics necessitate player interaction, right? So this is a game where you have to listen closely to um, your opponent's story, and you have to listen closely to be able to step in and take over, take it over as your own. Um, but you also have to be able to pretty seamlessly incorporate all of the different elements and 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 characters and plot lines that have been building in this story, and you have to you have to take them over as your own and start and start working it towards your own ending. 
yeah. could you just briefly describe how this game oh, is sure. played so that for folks yeah, yeah. that haven't seen it before? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So um, so it's a it's a card-based game, and in the deck of cards are all these different um, fairy tale elements. So there are character cards, right? So there's like, you know, you might have a a shepherd card, uh, you know, an old lady card, a king, a queen, a princess, um, a knight, a dragon, or there are um, there are place cards, there are event cards, there are object cards, and you can think of all these different things that that pop up in in fairy tales, right? So common fairy tale elements, and they're um, they're depicted on these cards. So each player begins the game with a with a hand of cards, um, and then there's a separate deck with uh, story endings. Um, so in that in that deck, each card has a sentence that you might commonly hear at the end of a fairy tale. You know, ranging from you know, they lived happily ever after all the way to you know, and so the curse was broken or something like that. And I don't, I mean, there are there are tons of them. And so you start the game with your hand of element cards uh, and one ending, and your goal is to tell a story using the cards in your hand um, as elements in your story. And you have to use all the elements in your hand and you have to reach the ending that you were dealt at the beginning of the game. And, and there are, you know, it's, it's, it's subjective, right? Um, so there's a lot of, uh, the players have to kind of enforce the rules themselves. You know, it's, the rules are sort of like, well, you know, the stories have to make sense. <laughs> I mean, I guess as much as fairy tales do, right? There has to be a coherent, story arc and you can't just uh you can't just you know pull cards out of your hand as like throwaway elements in the story right they all have to be significant somehow um so you, you can't just be sitting there and being like oh once upon a time there was a king who lived in a forest and he owned a castle and he had a son and the son got married and they lived happily ever after you know you can't so you there has to be an arc um, you have to develop the story somehow. Um, and it's kind of up to the other players to, you know, to stop somebody who's going on a rant and say, whoa, you know, you're, you're going overboard here. And the way that you, you can take over another person's story, um, there are interrupt cards where you can interrupt somebody else's story. Or, you know, if they, if they mention something in the course of the story uh, that corresponds with one of the cards that you have in your hand, you can lay that card down um, and, and take over the story from them there so it is a very creative game and it's not you know it's not turn-based at all you just have to you just have to listen and pay attention and be involved in the story to be able to to take over and take your turn telling it so what sort of person is good to play this game with who who would you want to have at your table with this somebody with a with a bold and vivid imagination somebody who has read a lot of stories and 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 knows has just has sort of a natural feel for how uh, how story elements come together. Somebody who can just who can just capture his or her listeners. You know, a, a lot of the fun of this game, honestly, is th this is one of those games where I, I don't care that much if I lose because if I lose, that means that I got to sit there and and be impressed by one of my opponents, like like this cool story that that you know, that she came up with, right? Like, whoa, that was amazing. You, you, you wove all those elements into the story and you got to that ending. That was really impressive. And so, you know, I, I never, it's not a game where I ever feel like I've just been, like I've just been had, right? 
Um, or like I, uh, like I just got, I just got outwitted or outsmarted. It's, it's just entertaining every single time. I mean, there, I mean, obviously it can't get frustrating. Like if I'm, if I'm on a roll or if any player is on a roll, right, I've got a good story going. I know exactly where it's going. This is going to get to my ending. No problem. And then all of a sudden somebody hijacks it, right? It can get a little bit frustrating, but it's really cool nonetheless to see, you know, to see somebody take over a story and, and skillfully take those elements and, and, um, and weave it into their own. It is something where the, like the, the better attention somebody has and the, and the better memory somebody has, the better they're going to be at this game and successfully, you know, taking their opponent's elements and, and, and putting them into their own story. Um, remembering the little details that, you know, that, that somebody may have left behind, but they can pick up and make them important again. That's what makes it really fun. So I, I had never heard of this game before you mentioned it. And, um, <laughs> and so I went on YouTube to just see a little bit about it. And there was a playthrough on Will Wheaton's tabletop from a few years oh, ago. Are you kidding me? That's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, they added a bunch of cards themselves to yeah. to kind of you know deal with the, or make it a little more spontaneous. So I'm wondering if you ever sure. do anything like that. I, I did, yeah. Actually, what, well, in, in my deck, I was... Um, I was a little bit confused, you know, here's a fairy, a fairy tale game, but there was no dragon card. Um, I had to make my own dragon card. Uh, yeah, actually, I, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that I, I always chuckle when I flip through that deck and I find the dragon card because I, um, I got this game, game when I was in college. And at the time, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there, there was a flash-based website called homestarrunner.com that was, it was sort of a comedy site. And one of the little... Uh, one of the little gags that um, that was on the website was a uh, was about this dragon named Trogdor. Um, so I thought I was very clever and drew drew Trogdor on this card for the dragon. So every time I see it, it's like a little it's like a little callback to my college days. Um, but yeah, no, for sure. I yeah, um, you know, I, I I made a dragon card. I made a knight card. Um, I don't think I ever really. I never I never did anything else beyond that um, because I guess I felt that. I, I don't know. I couldn't think of anything else to add to it, but man, I'd love to watch Will Wheaton <laughs> play through it. That would be a blast. I should look that up. I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes here. But uh, yes. anyway, okay. So let's talk about beginnings. How did you start playing games, and where were you uh, when that happened? I was probably between ten and twelve, and one of my best friends uh, who lived on our our block his stepdad was an avid gamer and that's how i first got introduced to it and he played i don't even remember the, the most of the, the names of his games a lot of the games that he played were oh they were those <clears throat> they were those uh like military strategy games that would sort of like recreate campaigns from famous wars but i remember probably one of the most vivid memories is um is sitting there playing uh civilization um, at their dining room table and just being captivated by it. Um, you know, this this idea of um, building up a civilization and exploring different paths on the technology track and you know, trying to take over territory from other players. So that's that's where I first got introduced to it. I don't know, after they after they moved away, we had um, I don't know, I, I guess there was kind of a hiatus. But then when I was in college, I took a semester off and I spent a lot of time at Jacob's Well um, here in town, <clears throat> and um, 
and a lot of the people that I met there were um, were really into games, and that's where you know that's where I sort of I sort of gatewayed into gaming with uh, with Carcassonne and um, and Catan and one of the other games that we'll mention later, and that's and that's where I really I really kind of picked up with it, and I I, I got I came back to college with like you know four different four different games um, that none of my college friends had ever heard of before. I mean the ones that I just named, they had never heard of these things and I introduced them and um, and we would spend hours and hours in the dorm playing these games. And I would spend hours and hours getting whooped by my ridiculously smart roommate. That was so, so between, between that sort of like pre-adolescent phase of, of playing games with, um, with my, with my best friend's stepdad. And then those, those years in college, that's, that's where it really came from. So you grew up in Traverse city. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts about how Traverse City has changed since then. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's changed a lot as a as a kid. I mean, it really was a small town, right? It, 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 and it it was a small town, and it felt like a small town, and obviously it still is, right? I mean, anybody, you know, anybody who's spent time in a in a big city or something, right? Traverse City is still just a small town, but yeah, I mean, it has it has changed enormously. You know, when I was a kid, the you know the tallest building was by far was um, was the Park Place Hotel, right? Um, and to drive downtown now and see all these, I don't know, what are they? Five, six story buildings. I guess you know, and I guess part of it too is honestly, like I, I've I've seen it change gradually enough that um, I remember how it was when I was a kid, and I see it now, and I and I see the change. And I appreciate it, honestly. I, for the most part, I I like the culture that's grown up around Traverse City over the past few decades. I um, I appreciate how much more cosmopolitan it feels now. You know, for for being a small town in northern Michigan. I know, um, I know for some people, I you know they're they're away for for years and years, and then they come back, and there's much more of a shock factor, right? I mean, I know some people you know, look, look back on the way it was and they have a great nostalgia for it. And they kind of, they kind of bemoan the changes that have been happening, but, um, but I enjoy it. I am a, I am a nostalgic person and I like to, I like to, to hang on to the past and dream sweet dreams about it. But I think most of the changes that have happened have been really, really good ones. I also have to ask you about your name. Um, oh, <laughs> are are you related yeah. to the author of Ivanhoe, or do you come from I, a long line of Walters, or did your parents just no, like the name, or how'd that go? No, I'm I'm named after my grandpa. Um, the the Walter Scott thing is a is a is just sheer coincidence. I mean, it is kind of weird because I you know I I grew up I grew up reading um, the Lord of the Rings and basically anything by J.R.R. Tolkien that I could get my hands on. He's still my favorite author to this day. You know, I was I was always big into into medieval history, and I mean that's that's my that's my specialization in in my in my PhD is medieval literature. And so it is it is kind of funny that here I am, Walter Scott, and uh, you know I would I would appear to be named after the great romantic author of Ivanhoe and Kenilworth and all those. Um, but no, just um, just sheer coincidence. I have often joked that I I would like to get dual citizen citizenship someday or or you know do do something so I can be knighted and and finally be Sir Walter Scott but uh, yeah nope it's uh, and and my whole life people have commented on it too um, you know it's it's become it's become a running joke for me personally so yeah not surprising okay well, <laughs> let's let's move on to your next game. Sure. This game is a classic that has people scratching their heads about the theme until they play it. 
but it was created by Uwe Rosenberg and originally published in 1997 and is currently published in the U.S. by Rio Grande Games. So this is Bonanza. Why would that be yeah. joining you in Snowmageddon? Again, it, it, it hits hits some of the criteria that I was talking about. I mean, honestly, th- this is one of those games that I, I first thought of you know, when, when first thinking about doing the podcast, simply because it was one of my old familiar games, right? I, I played this, I played this in college. I don't even know how many times, you know, the, my, my old deck from then is, you know, cards are, cards are worn and, and torn and weather beaten. And it looks like they've been, you know, through a, through a war or something. For me, it's one of those games. I don't know about its replayability factor. I mean, this is one of those games where, um, once a person decides on a strategy that they like to use in this game, they usually kind of stick with that strategy every time they play. But that doesn't mean that there is one best one best way to play it. I think one of the things I like best about it, I mean, first of all, it can accommodate a lot of people. And also, the player interaction, just like Once Upon a Time, is that's the mechanic, right? You you can't play the game really without without butting up against the idea of um, trading or not trading with the other people, with the other players, um, making deals, all that kind of stuff. And again, the, the rules are loose enough so that so that you can make any sort of deals you want, right? I, I mean, I've seen people trade on futures in this game. You know, I've seen people, you know, rack up favors that other people owe them in this game. And so that that always makes it entertaining. And it's also it's a game where, um, you know, I, f- I feel it can it can swing a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, my Whenever my wife plays it, um, she's not she's not a competitive person. Um, if she plays any game, she'd rather have it be I don't know cooperative, if anything, right? And so so if she plays this game, you know her her modus operandi is she almost sees it as as a problem to be solved, right? Like oh this this person this person desperately needs to plant this bean card from their hand, but can't do it unless a trade happens. Let's make this trade happen, right? Let's let's find a way. To, to solve this so that everybody can get what they want and 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 make this and make this run smoothly you know as opposed to some of the people that I played with when I was younger or you know where they get they get really cutthroat about it right and it's like you know if, if this deal is not somehow immediately beneficial to me there's no deal and so there's a there's just a whole range of attitudes that this that the that Bonanza can accommodate and so it it, it changes a lot depending on the group of people that you're playing with and i think that's i think that's what i find so appealing about it yeah that's that's interesting i've never really thought about people being beneficent to one another in in a game like this but i guess that uh, that's totally a, a a strategy that would be if you feel good about that um, oh yeah for sure yeah yep what what's your favorite strategy then what are you thinking about while you while you play this game or do you do it differently depending on the group you're with. I do. I do play a little bit differently depending on the group that I'm with. You know, I, I think I think I'm I'm happy playing just about any way. Um, and so you know, if if more of the people are uh, are more willing to make deals, or you know, then I'm then I'm happy to play that way. It's it's fun. It's fun to to sit down and and see if we can see if we can sort of collectively solve the problem of. You know, everybody needs to needs to plant a bean, but everybody's got some sort of obstacle. Um, let's let's collectively talk this through and come up with a solution that we can all agree upon. Um, I I find that I find that very appealing personally. On the other hand, um, it is 
it is also fun for me sometimes to, um, you know, to sit down with, with a couple people who, who really want to hold their cards close to their chest. Right. And then, and then it becomes the matter of, you know, really trying to weigh the mathematics, right. Is this, is this worth it? Right. Is, is, is getting, getting this many cards in trade for this one card is, you know, is that, is that going to be worth my, worth my while, um, you know, does it, does it free up my hand enough that it, that it makes it worth it? How much am I willing to cede to this other person to make things easier for myself? Yeah, it really depends on the group and I'm, and I'm happy playing either way. I really am. I'm a, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a pretty laid back guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. And I guess we should describe a little bit about the game just for folks who haven't sure. heard that either, which is you get a hand of cards, each of which is a, is a different type of being like a suit. And you have to keep the, your hand in the order that you draw the cards in, and you can play them. It's kind of a set collection game, and you can play them into a field in front of you, and the more that you get, the more points you score, basically. But you have this problem of you can only have two fields, and you have to play the cards in the order that you've drawn them. So so mm-hmm. that that order maintenance seems to me to be the key kind of shocker of this game if you've taught it a lot of times have has that kind of frustrated people or has that been oh yeah an interesting thing for folks to deal with yeah that's always that's always the i mean both <laughs> that's that is that is the interesting point and it is the frustrating point you know you get you get these people where you, if you if you don't if you don't really stress that rule ahead of time you know you'll you'll give them their starting hand and immediately they start rearranging it and you're going no 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 <laughs> you're not supposed to do that it's really important and it is so yeah of course it's frustrating but i mean but that's you know a, a lot of the really good games out there that's that's what makes them fun to engage with right is that is that key that key limitation right you can only take so many turns in this game so you have to make each turn count or there's this resource management aspect of it where there's a you know there's one resource or a couple of resources that are there's a limited flow and you you know you really have to you really have to work against that particular obstacle i mean that's that's just that's the limitation in this particular game that that makes it that gives it that that edge that makes it a little bit challenging to play. And so that you're right, that's the key thing that that creates the puzzle that 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 you that you have to work against. So um, I think it's I think it's not so much frustrating for people as it is surprising, right? Because they're not they're not used to getting a hand of cards and and not being able to to rearrange it, you know, in, in the order that they want or into, you know, into groupings or whatever. So surprising, I think, yeah, but but frustrating, I don't think so. And certainly, I mean, certainly not frustrating enough so that I've never seen somebody be like, you know, this game is crap <laughs> and walk away. So no, it's, um, it's what, it's what makes the game and, and, uh, and the game is fun. So I guess that, that's what makes the game fun. There you go. Yeah, no, it's, this is a game celebrated for the efficiency of its design. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's really a neat thing. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to kind of your, your current scene. You're a high school teacher, but you've got a really, I mean, you've dropped some hints already, but you've got an interesting story of how you got there. So I'm hoping that you yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how, how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I never thought I would be a high school teacher. When I was in college, I, um, 
I kind of bopped around majors a little bit. I, I started as a as a theater performance major, and because I I for a, about a year and a half I had caught the theater bug in high school, and I thought I was going to be an actor, and you know, so I did I did a year doing theater, which was great fun. I, I really enjoyed it, but it was not going to be the career for me. I finally settled on on more academic subjects, which were. I mean, obviously, they had been my passion for much longer. I was always into languages, so it just made perfect sense that I would end up with a language major. Um, for me, it was French. You know, like I said, I've always been into uh, into history, especially medieval history. So the fact that I ended up doing a, a medieval studies uh, major as well was probably no big surprise to people who knew me. But I knew uh, I knew coming out of college that you know probably the I mean the most the most logical path with that kind of degree was for me to to, to be um, a teacher somehow, but I, I swore that I was never going to teach high school. Just, I just thought it, it wasn't for me. And so that's why I pursued, um, you know, first my master's degree and then my PhD. I, I wanted to be a college, um, college professor. When I was close to finishing my PhD, I already had uh, two kids by the time I was finishing my PhD. And I knew I knew that especially, um, you know, looking for positions in um, in French, just the the work environment or the the you know the the job environment was such that you know you weren't you weren't you're not going to land a tenure track position right out of grad school, right? You're you you pretty much have to move around from place to place doing one or two year temporary positions until you have enough of a resume to to be a good candidate for a tenure track position somewhere where you can really settle down and, and be there. And, you know, with, with a wife and two kids already, I just, I didn't know how much I, I really wanted to be, um, to be going through that. So that, that was kind of a, that was kind of a little, a little thing in the back of my mind. Then when I was done with coursework and I was, um, I was starting to work on the dissertation, uh, that's when we decided to, uh, to move from Madison. Um, I was at, I was at uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So we, we decided to move out of Madison and come back to Traverse City, which is where I'm from and my wife is from. So, um, so our family is all here. And the, you know, our reasoning was basically, uh, look, we'll, you know, we'll stay there for a year, however long it takes me to finish the dissertation. You know, uh, the grandparents will have some time to to know our kids and vice versa. It'll be great. And then once I'm done with the dissertation, we'll um, we'll pull up roots again and you know go uh, go looking for for jobs for me. But as the months slipped by and I was working on my dissertation, I knew I wanted to finish because it was just at that point in time, there was, there was no sense in me stopping. And I just, it was a, it was a goal I had set for myself and I, and I, I wanted to, to cross that finish line. But as the months passed, we realized more and more that we just, we didn't want to move away from Traverse City. We, we love it here too much. Um, and we wanted to stay close to, to family. So the, the call of, the call of our roots really, um, really struck home and it was almost providential. I mean, the whole time my mom, kept saying to me, hey, you should talk to the principal at St. Francis. Um, you know, they, they don't have a French, I don't, I don't know if they have a French program, but you could find out maybe he has something for you. And I kept saying, oh, high school. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be high school. But, you know, here I was uh, about to graduate. Uh, I wasn't going to be a professional student anymore. I needed to find a job. And so eventually at some, the, the principal happens to be a, a member at the same, um, the same parish as, as, uh, as uh, me and my family. So we were at this parish event and I ran into him and 
introduced myself and you know it's like oh you know here's my degree of french literature i don't even remember the exact words but basically he he made it clear that um yeah he, he said oh really what about latin because <laughs> you teach latin well you know i had kind of basically a latin minor in my undergrad and i had had some sort of brush up classes through my graduate career so i said you know sure i mean i i guess i'll you know, give me a textbook and I can probably teach beginning Latin. As it turns out, he really needed an English teacher. So I, I got on board. I, I started up a, a Latin program um, on my own there and um, and uh, took over the uh, the American literature class. And um, and I've been doing it ever since. And, you know, the truth is it's um, it really was providential because honestly, I can't I can't imagine a better place to work. And, and it turns out I actually kind of enjoy teaching high school. So um, more than kind of, I really enjoy it. So it was, yeah, it was a long and, and twisted path for me, but I, but it's um, had a happy ending. It's It's been very good for me. Basically, now the kids at school call you Doc. They do, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess I'm just wondering, what was your dissertation about, first of all? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I, I love how focused these things <laughs> get, so <laughs> sure. the narrower the better. Yeah. So the title was Author, Text, and Audience. Hold on. Boy, I can't even remember the title of my own dissertation. Hold on. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it was Author, Author Text, and Audience, The Horizon of Expectations, and the History of William Marshall, except that it was L'Histoire de Guillaume le Maréchal. Um, I give it the title in French. Anyways, so the central text that I studied was a narrative poem about... Um, a historical figure named William Marshall. Uh, he's very, very famous in the history books. He was born in the uh, late 12th century in the reign of Stephen and grew grew to manhood in the reign of um, Henry I. And um, uh, first of all, he became one of known as one of the foremost knights of of the court, um, and he was sort of like the the bodyguard and companion of Henry II when Henry II was young, and he had all sorts of adventures in 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 France and England and all that, um, and uh, eventually became one of the one of the greatest nobles of Anglo-Norman. Uh, England, he um, he was the I don't I don't remember what the proper title was. He was sort of appointed to to oversee um, the the Anglo-Norman colonization of Ireland for some time. He uh, he acted as regent of England um, for a short period of time um, late in his life. So he's a he's a he's a monstrous figure in the history books. Well, this this narrative poem is a it's a biography of his life which doesn't sound unusual for modern years, um, right? Biographies get written about famous people all the time. In the, in the Middle Ages, this text was, a, was, was out of place entirely. It was, written, it was written very shortly after his death. You know, it, it purports to be a factual account of his, of his life and his deeds, but there are, there are some things in there that are, that are clearly fictional. And so I, and, and this, and it's a 12,000 line poem about him and and it's like the primary source for his life so historians have, have read it for years and years um and studied it and, and you know derived like gotten all sorts of information about him and the you know the anglo-norman court out of it um but nobody ever really studied it as a piece of literature uh, which it is um so 
my dissertation was basically looking at it. In fact, a, a fact of a lot of people had read it. Historians had read it. Um, literary scholars had read it and sort of poo-pooed it and said, "Oh, it's 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 not it's not great literature. This guy doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, he's not a great poet. So we're just going to try and mine it for historical information." Kind of the the point of my dissertation was kind of a, a defense of this poor poet <laughs> to to reread it through a through a really strictly literary lens and say. No, this guy knew what he was doing. You know, he he uses all sorts of um, all sorts of different techniques to to speak to his audience, to engage his audience, um, to help his audience understand this character of William Marshall all the better. So that's that that was that was the dissertation right there. And I I mean I you know I I kind of struck out, and I of course I I had to pull on various other oh various other texts and ideas as well to you know to to back things up and but. Um, yeah, but that that was the that was the general gist of it. This is becoming a standard question now, but I've uh, <laughs> I've seen informal polls that say most board gamers are either teachers or programmers because you need to be really? a process person to to play games. So I'm wondering what what you think of that. Huh? You need to be a what kind of person? You said process person. Oh, because I mean teachers are yeah. all about you know about doing things process. in order and programming. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, I, I guess that kind of makes sense to me. I mean, it's 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 funny that you that you say that because I mean, the first two games that we talked about really don't have that much to do with process at all. I mean, Bonanza, I guess a little bit, but Once Upon a Time, I think just speaks, you know, that for for me that that strikes closer to my heart because of it because of its storytelling element and because of the fairy tale element, you know, both, both of those things are near and dear to me. Yeah. Um, I guess that doesn't surprise me too much. I, I don't know. I mean, as a teacher, I'm not a, a lot of teachers are way more process oriented than I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you're, li- you're laid back. So that's, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm not um, out there, you know, and I, I think honestly, I don't know. Honestly, in, in, especially in teaching literature, it doesn't necessarily feel like a um, like a process-based thing. I guess it is. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I have to I have to lead my students through critical thinking and um, and good argumentation and p- pulling evidence and organizing evidence. So, I guess it is in a way. I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm not very good at games. <laughs> Because I'm not very process oriented, I don't know. Although I, I mean, I do, I do enjoy the process, right? Like I, I enjoy, I enjoy being able to look at the mechanics of the game and look at the rules and say, okay, this is how the pieces fit together. This is why it's better to do things in this order or in these combinations. So I don't, I feel like I'm not giving you an answer <laughs> to your question. Oh, that's good. Um, it's an exploration, but. Uh... <laughs> So I just wanted to toss that out there. Yeah, that's cool. It's, I mean, I, it, it does make sense. I just hadn't heard that before. That's interesting. I was wondering if are your kids old enough to play games with? And uh, yeah, yeah. And if so, what? I mean, what games do you recommend for kids? I don't know if I have a good recommendation for kids. I I I probably give my kids games that are, I mean, at least at least the the ratings on the boxes are you know say that the games are are too advanced for my kids, but. I, I don't know. I give them to them anyway. So I mean, they they enjoy playing Bonanza. We we went through a kick where we played that a lot. Um, I think especially my um, my daughter who's uh, who's going to be eleven. She really enjoys playing that. Um, I tried to get them to play Once Upon a Time, but um, but they don't they don't really engage in the storytelling as much as they just listen to me tell a story, which is pretty fun too. But that's not the game. Honestly, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I I I have the games that I have, and and we play them. Um, 
my my eight-year-old son loves playing Catan. He's a pretty okay at it, really. They both really enjoy playing Dominion. I'd say di- probably of all the games that I have, Dominion is probably the probably the most appropriate in terms of complexity um, for for kids around ten or ten and under. That one's that one's not too tricky. I mean, they they like playing Grand Austria Hotel. You know, they they grasped the rules pretty quickly and they they like that. So. Uh, wingspan they enjoy wingspan these are all games that we've played a number of times together and uh i think it's the same sort of thing where they they enjoy seeing how combinations are built to have the effects that they're looking for so yeah i mean those like i said those are the games that i have we play them the kids enjoy them i don't know do you ever use games in the classroom I use games in my Latin class all the time, but they're, you know, not the, the only board game that we play is, is Clue. Um, I invented a, I invented a, a, a board based on a Roman villa to play Clue. That's pretty fun. But then there, I mean, there are other, they're just like kind of learning games that we play sometimes, Pictionary, that kind of stuff. But the idea of, of playing a game as a, as a learning tool is a, is a great one, right? I mean, if you, if you're looking for student engagement, right? Um, student engagement is a is a great measure for student success, right? If students are engaged, well, I should put it this way: if a student is not engaged, they're almost certainly not going to succeed, right? Um, so they they have to be engaged, and and playing games is usually a really good way to engage them. And if you can, you know, if you can find ways uh, in those games to have them manipulate material, repeat material, reproduce material. Uh, those are all mechanisms that that will that will help um, help them build build memory, build acquisition, language acquisition skills. So yeah, my Latin class, I use games all the time. I mean, probably at least twice a week, I'm playing a game with the kids in the classroom. Yeah, that's great. That's a good way to yeah. learn. Yeah. Okay. And finally, you um, you said you were a sourdough hipster before quarantine made it cool. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. How did you get going on that? I mean, I've I've been in the kitchen since I was a young kid. So that's, I mean, that explains the baking part of it. I've always been a little bit food centered. I like, I like eating and I like, I like good food. You know, my, my older brother would be with my dad in the workshop or whatever. And I was in the kitchen with my mom. That's just how it was. You know, from a very young age, I would be, I would be baking bread and stuff with my mom in the kitchen. And so it's always just been a a part of who I am. The sourdough part of it, I guess just arose out of a desire to um, I don't know, do do something different, do something a little bit more challenging, do something, you know, and I guess, I guess there's the process part of it too, right? Because doing sourdough is one of those things where you, it's a, uh, it's time management, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I just laugh because you and I have had experience with time management games where I, it's, it's, I'm, I've been proven to be not very good at it, but in the kitchen, I am pretty good at it. And, uh, you know, just this idea of like, okay, you know, I've got to basically time out my next moves, right? Like I've got to refresh the sourdough starter. Now I have to come back to it after a certain amount of time and, and mix my dough. I have to let it rise for this amount of time. And I have to arrange all this so that I'm not up at, you know, 3 a.m. 3 a.m. baking my bread. Right. And so it's, it, it is that it was just sort of like the next, the next step in exploring um, making bread, and it was it was that little bit of challenge of of doing the time management and 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 planning things out that I I really wanted to get into and I really enjoyed. A few years ago, I oh man, more than a few years ago now, probably seven years ago, eight years ago, I tried doing my own like making my own starter from scratch, and it was it was it was horrible. It was just a major flop. Then last summer, my my sister in law gave me a starter. And it was exactly the kind of starter I needed because it had provenance, right? It wasn't just like, 
it wasn't just some some old starter that she had that she had whipped up somewhere this this sucker supposedly came from her friends who got it from some people in New York who got it from a bakery in Paris, right? And, and it had been around for like a hundred years or something. And that might not be true, but it certainly um, <laughs> it, it certainly made me happy, right? Like I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, and that was the real thing. Where if you believe it, it actually works. So that's that's, that's right. Yeah, it's the, it was the magic feather. And so that was it's so ever. I mean, so for a year now, basically, I've been. I've been doing sourdough a little bit more seriously. And I, I mean, a lot of my friends are way better bakers than I am, but, um, but whatever, I mean, I, I make it, it's good. My family eats it. So I'm happy. That's great. Okay. Let's move on then. Your third game uh, fits right with the French medieval theme. It's another classic <laughs> this time designed yep. by Stefan Feld and published in 2011 here in the U S by Aliyah Ravensburger. Uh, why do you want castles of Burgundy? at Snowmageddon. <laughs> I want Castles of Burgundy because I want to figure it out. I, I've i only ever played it online because I only learned it, I don't know, however long ago that was, a month or so ago, and I would like to play it in person. But mostly, I haven't won a game of it yet, so I just really <laughs> want it there so I can win a game of Castles of Burgundy. I feel like I, I, feel like I haven't like I'm, I'm almost there on figuring it out. And I really like that tantalizing feeling, right? Like, oh man, I'm almost there. And if I just, if I play it one more time, maybe that'll be the time where I can, you know, where I, where I figure it out and I, I get a really great score. You know, everything comes together for me. So I, I, I like that. I like that alluring aspect of it. But as a game, as a game, I really uh, like it because for me, it, it hits the it hits the sweet spot in terms of complexity. But also, you know, something that I and, th- and this is this is one of the reasons that I struggled with choice of games because one of the one of the other th- things I guess I should have mentioned this in my criteria, but I really enjoy seeing different mechanics being brought into a game in in creative ways, right? And in interesting mixes um, to to make them run a little bit differently. And I feel like Castles of Burgundy does that really, really well. You know, I, I know a lot of people, I've, I've heard some critiques, you know, say like, oh, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a game where the theme is really important, right? Like you could, you could slap different pictures and different names on there and it wouldn't make a difference. So for some people who feel like, you know, who feel like theme has to be integrated into the game a lot, I I think that they don't necessarily like it, or I've heard some critiques in that regard. But but for me, it's the it's the blend of mechanics that it has that makes it really um, really engaging and interesting. I'm a big fan of engine building games, so um, so I like that. You know, I like that part of it. You know, I like as frustrating as it is, right? We talked about we talked about frustration um, before with Bonanza. Um, so it's frustrating that you only get a certain number of dice to do something within the game, but that's that's the limitation, right? That's the framework that you have to work within. So so I enjoy that. I enjoy that limitation and 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 being forced to work within it. I, I think I, that's that's why I would want it. Obviously, it's not a huge it's not a huge direct player interaction game. Right. I mean, you know, somebody might take a tile that you that you wanted. Um, but beyond that, that's yeah, that, that's pretty much the, as far as it goes. Um, and you can't have a ton of people playing. it. You, can, you know, it's up to four people. That's all. It, it doesn't meet it doesn't meet those criteria that I said before. But um, but yeah, it's the it's the blend of mechanics. It's the for me personally, it's the feeling that I haven't quite gotten it yet. Um, and I, and I'd want to, I'd want to keep going back to it. And and that, you know, that, that comes into the replayability of it. And I, I do feel like every time I've played it, I've, 
chosen a, a slightly different strategy to try out and um and I feel like you could that could keep happening right um so much depends on what's available on the board and um and the dice that you get and everything that that it's it's going to be just a little bit different each time yeah that makes a lot of sense it's a you know, for folks that haven't played it, it's a tile laying game, um, but you have your have your own little kingdom that you're putting tiles into, and you have to pick them up off of a common board. And every turn, you get to roll two dice, and uh, you can use those dice to uh, as action spaces to uh, either pick stuff up off the board or put it into your kingdom. And there's just so much input variability in this game because the setup is different every time. You can use random kingdom boards. You, and then the, whatever, however the dice work out is totally different. So it is a point salad type of game. So every turn yeah. you can do something, but it, yep. uh, but it, you know, it, it, there's just a ton of variability. So you have to work with what you got all the time. So yeah. you seem to like that kind of point salad game. Is that something that you've always felt, or is that something you've been growing into recently, just playing more of these Euro-type games? Yeah, that's that's definitely more of a recent thing. I think if you had asked me a year ago, um, I would have said, you know, I'll pass on the point salad. But yeah, more and more, I've um, I've grown to enjoy it. And I guess it's true. I, I hadn't really thought of it the, the way you just expressed it in the sense that, like, with those sorts of games, it, there's there's always something you can do to add to advance yourself because there there are so many different ways to gain to gain points in different ways so i guess that is you know maybe that is one reason why i why i am enjoying those games more and more now but i've also come to see that i yeah it just it just lends for more avenues of exploration i guess i i feel like i'm contradicting myself now right because i then i go back to like bonanza and that thing is the opposite of point salad right you you know you get you get you get the cards that you get and you play them and you collect your sets and and that gives you the points and that's that you know even though even though i was introduced early like like i said my gateway games were were, were carcassonne and, and Catan. more and more of those those euro games along the lines of castles of burgundy have become of more interest to me i'm not good at them but i enjoy them more and more I think you are good at them, but I'm I'm not a, I'm not a very good player, and uh, I feel like uh, the good thing about point salad is that you can set little mini goals and feel like you're still achieving something, even though you probably will never win the game. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, first, I, I guess that's the consolation prize for somebody like me. Anyway, um, so I, I want to ask: Do you think gaming has a role in society? Do games matter? Oh, I think I think they matter a great deal. Yeah, I think they matter because they bring people together. I think they, you know, I've seen, I don't know, things are just so divisive now, more divisive than they have been in my lifetime. I, well, I I sound like I'm an old man. I'm I'm not, but and it can be really scary. You know, I mean, I've seen I've seen people of wildly differing backgrounds and opinions come together to play a game and it's it's a common ground right like there are rules we all follow the rules you know we're all we're all trying to enjoy it and win it and so you know it's not like it's not like I've ever seen any like super profound or meaningful conversations happen while we're playing games necessarily but it's the relationship building that's really important right I've got several friends from from way back in the day that I you know, I, I made those friends when I was playing games at Jacob's Well, and we have very different opinions now, but I know them and I, I, I know those people and I respect them because I got to know them playing games. So I think it's I think it's hugely important, you know, and I think for that reason, 
you know, it's the it's the in-person gaming that 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 is super important as well. Um, obviously, uh, we've been taking advantage of of some of some online platforms, and it's and it's fun. Um, it's it's great to get exposed to a lot of different games, you know. But if I were to go out and and play a game online with with people who just show up as a random username, I mean, unless I unless you were to really become a part of that community, it's 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 just not the same as sitting down in person around a table and seeing faces. You know, that was something that that really struck home with me too when we had to go to distance learning in March. I've told several people this, but you know, after a few weeks of only directly interacting with my students once a week via Zoom. And most of the time I didn't even see their faces because they would have their cameras turned off. I I felt horrible about it, but I stopped being very empathetic at all. You know, they would not understand something or they would mess something up. And instead of feeling a real desire to sit down with them and help them and talk them through the problem and figure out what we could do, you know, I just wanted to throw my hands up and be go, you know, man, what's, you know, this is, this is pointless, you know, what are they doing? This is ridiculous. And I realized that it's because I was not actually in their presence, right? Like I, I was not able to, to see their faces and, 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 and be there with them as a person. So as long as, you know, as long as people can actually physically gather around the table and sit down and play that game together, it's, it's just so important for building human relationships. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, you know, I could talk about problem solving and uh, all that kind of stuff, but it's, for me, it's about the relationships. And that's why, I, I mean, I get frustrated when I don't win games. I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a, it's a bad, I'm a bad mix between somebody who's not great um, at games um, and who's also fairly competitive. And so I, I don't feel great about losing, but I just, I, I love the camaraderie and the relationship more than I love winning. So that's, what's really important to me. And I, th- I think that's why games are so important for us today. Yeah. How do you choose games to play or add to your collection? Um... Oh my gosh. I'll be honest. I usually, usually I'm initially I'm drawn by theme, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll see a title, I'll see an illustration, I'll hear the description and go, oh, that's a cool premise, that's a cool theme. But usually my, my final decision is based more on, you know, the, the mechanics of it look really cool to me. That's why, you know, like I don't, I don't think if, any, if anybody had said like, oh, you know, there's a game out there where you collect birds and put them on your board. I mean, I enjoy bird watching. It's always been kind of a thing for me, but I don't think I ever would have said, oh, yeah, sweet, let's do that. You know, but um, I don't buy a lot of games. Right. I, 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 I really restrain myself, but, but Wingspan is one that I purchased for myself because I, I played it once and I just, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the mechanics of it and how it all works together. So I think that's, that's what it really comes down to. And there are, you know, there are a couple of other games that I've, I've had my eye on that, um, that kind of, you know, touch, touch on both for me, right? Like it's, it seems like a theme I'll enjoy, but mostly when I read through the description of, of how it, how it works, how it functions, that's, that's where I usually get hooked in. Well, that's a great segue into your final game because this is one that's totally dripping with theme. It's a classic <laughs> that came out of Central Asia in the early centuries of the Common Era and is now played the world over, and that's chess. Why do you yeah. when it comes to Snowmageddon? I think it's the ultimate in replayability. And I'm not going to lie, I've always loved chess because I was first introduced to it. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe it was my parents. I don't know. I got, I got, a, I got a birthday present or a Christmas present once of a, you know, a little chess set and uh and an introduction to chess book and all of the illustrations in the book were of real people in costume right so there's this queen with this magnificent 
magnificent sword right? or a knight on a rearing horse. And I was like, oh, that's so amazing. <laughs> I want to play that game. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly enjoy the theme of it. But again, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the replayability. And again, it, it's, this is one of those things that contradicts what I said before, right? Like it doesn't involve a lot of people. You can only have two at a time, but it, it definitely hits the spot for me of, I feel like that's a game where I could always, you know, whether I win or lose, I could always look forward to the next game knowing that it's going to be completely different, right? And that I could always do something a little bit different or, 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 or do a little bit better. I don't know. I, I, love the, I love the mental aspect of it, you know, knowing that all the information is there on the board uh, and being able to think several moves ahead, you know, and, and, try, and try and anticipate what, you know, what the opponent is going to do and be surprised um, or be pleased because I was, you know, I either I either didn't anticipate correctly or I did anticipate correctly. It's like either either way is good, right? Like if I if I if I guessed wrong, I get surprised and that's cool. If I guessed right, you know, great. <laughs> I guess that's why. And I, you know, it's funny. I was listening to I don't know one of your other guests. You know, he was a, he was a he was a major proponent of Go, and I totally recognize the idea that like Go presents way more possibilities than like than than chess right but um but i think i think with chess it really is the and i think he you know he appreciated the simplicity of it the stripped down nature of it right it's just round pieces on the board but chess has always captured my imagination you know um i i, I love i love seeing the story play out in my head of you know of, of the pieces maneuvering around on the board and a, and a pawn coming up against a knight and all that kind of stuff so i like games where i can where i can sort of see the story unfolding in front of me, so to speak, and and really and really become engrossed in the world of the game. Who did you learn chess from? Oh man, I first learned it from one of my uncles. I don't even remember how old I was. We were in my grandma's little cabin up on the shores of Lake Superior, and uh, and and we I don't know we sat down and he showed me the mechanics, and um, that was that. Have you had any memorable games of chess, or? Yeah, I think the most memorable for me was um, when I was. I was probably a teenager, but I, I played a game of chess against um, a friend of mine who was certainly one of the smartest people, probably the smartest person I knew at the time, or at least I thought he was. And he, and he is. He is, a, he is incredibly intelligent. I beat him, and I, <laughs> I felt really good about that. And, uh, you know, it's very, it was, it was, the whole, the whole, the whole match was fraught with tension. I love feeling that adrenaline going. Uh, my wife, I don't know. I think it bothers her, but she she and she kids me about it. You know, she's like, I don't know why you get so wound up about it. It's just a game. <laughs> but um, but uh, I do. I don't know. I, I I get adrenaline going when it's a when it's a close game, and I've and I've worked hard to win it. And um, so yeah, that that match in particular stands out in my mind. That was a fun one. I used to play a lot with my younger brother. I played a lot with, um, or several times with one of my roommates and he's like one of my best friends from college. So those all kind of get lumped in there too. It's just lots of fond memories with that one. So what do you see next for tabletop gaming for you or the, the activity? Is there anything that you're looking forward to or anything that you've seen coming that sounds interesting? Yeah, well, geez, I don't know. I mean, I'm not hooked into the the gaming world as much as some people, so I don't, you know, I don't necessarily have an ear to the ground and and have an idea of what's, you know, what's next on the horizon or what's coming out. I guess um, for for a little while now, I've really, really wanted to um, to check out uh, Architects of the 
is it the North Kingdom? Is that right? Architects I think it's West, West Kingdom. Kingdom. West, 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 West Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. And then the, and the, and, um, and the one in the same series, Paladins. I've, I, you know, it's one of those things again, where like the theme really hits home with me, uh, with the medieval theme, but there are, there are some mechanic elements in there that I, uh, I find very intriguing as well. Ever since, um, ever since I got introduced to Stone, uh, to Stone Meyer games, I've been excited to see what, you know, what comes out next from them. So yeah, I guess that's those are those are kind of the two directions that I that I'm excited about checking out. So um, I think for me, for me personally, too, the idea of um, a legacy game that I that idea really appeals to me because again, it's that idea of like the like the unfolding of a story over several sessions. I never did any role playing games ever. I'm not I'm not sure I ever would necessarily, but that idea of having the having the game unfold over a number of sessions and having new, you know, new new parts of it opened up is is really cool. So personally that's something that I um I'm looking forward to doing. Okay, so my last yeah. formal question for you is the snowmobile on its way to bring you your games had to cross a river and as it hit the far bank, three of the games that you chose bounced out into the river and were washed oh. downstream. So as you unpack, which one of your games are you hoping is still there? I forgot about this question. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Hmm. Which one am I hoping is still there? I guess Castles of Burgundy. For purely practical purposes, you know, we could recreate a chessboard using pen and paper pretty easily. You know, if it's a if it's a question of sitting around and 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 telling stories to amuse each other, which essentially is what Once Upon a Time is, even though there is some competitive edge to it. I mean, we can we can do that, you know, on our own. But Castles of Burgundy just has it just has so many pieces um, that you 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 couldn't try and recreate it on your own. But yeah, I, I guess I would I would hope to see I would hope to see that one still on the snowmobile. Well, that sounds great. Well. Walter yeah. Scott, thank you very much for joining us here in Snowmageddon. Really appreciate you telling us all this great information today. Yeah, I had, I had fun, Jim. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Good. That's it for this episode of Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Thanks again to Walter for being a good sport. Links to the games and other things we discussed can be found in the podcast website, gameinsnow.com. Website hosting is sponsored by Archipelago Creative LLC, makers of Mackinac Island Treasure Hunt card board games at MackinawTreasure.com. This nice music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Look for more episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash gameinsnow. If you have any comments about this show or want to suggest or be a guest, please email me at gameinsnow at gmail.com. I'm Jim Maratsky. Thanks for listening.